Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. This week, we're talking about German summer traditions and changes happening in July that you should know about, such as rising long-term Caden students and what to expect with the German dual citizenship law. We'll get into how Germany plans to move away from gas and oil heating and why it's controversial. And the far-right party, Alternative for Germany, or AfD, has won a district election and is climbing in recent polls. We'll talk about what this means for Germany. Lastly, we'll get into some events happening across Germany this summer. I'm Rachel Oxen, and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Aaron Burnett and Rachel Stern. Hello! Hello! Lovely to see you both. Lovely to see you too, Rach. Lovely to see you, Aaron. Yeah, great to see you ladies. It's a bit of a bittersweet day for us today, isn't it? Yes, so we are recording this on Wednesday, June the 28th. Guys, this is our last episode before we take a summer break. So thank you so much for all your brilliant analysis over the last few months. Also to our other panelists who, and guests who aren't here right now. I'm going to miss you, to be honest. And also our awesome chats on German life and talking about these big stories in the news and political agenda in Germany. And of course, we will also miss our lovely listeners who have been with us. So thank you all for your support. Yeah, well, it's blast being in the booth, um, for sure, every time we get to do it. Uh, and also getting great feedback from our listeners. Thank you for those who've left reviews. I mean, I'm looking forward to a bit of a summer break, of, uh, of course, but um, I'm still very excited for when we come back in September uh, mm -hmm. as well. So it's goodbye for now, <laughs> not forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The good thing is we will be back in September, as you said, Aaron. So it'll be exciting to get back to it then. Time will fly by as it usually does. Yeah, in oh, yeah. summer, exactly. Okay, guys, so I wanted to start us off today by talking about some German summer traditions. What Germans like to do during the summer months, things like that. So what is something about a typical German summer that everyone should be aware of? What do you think, Aaron? Well, lakes. <laughs> There's plenty of lakes in Germany to try out. Uh, in Berlin city limits alone, we have around 10 <laughs> without actually leaving city limits. And many families get there early to snag beach spots. The whole, you know, bring your towel, <laughs> lay it out, definitely applies to lakes. I love hitting up the lake myself for a picnic or swim. Judging by the last few, few hot weekends, I'm definitely not alone. But also beer gardens, they are just mm. a different kind of scale here, aren't they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, my friend Neil basically says... Uh, that the natural state of a German is uh, drinking alcohol outside in winter Glühwein. And in summer, of course, we have our beer gardens. Yes, and they are amazing, to be honest. Yes. You can have a great afternoon there. That's very true. And mine is more just a tip for day-to-day -day life. Um, and this is something that stands out to me as a Californian. Pretty much where I'm from, cafes and all sorts of institutions are open every day um, unless there's an event like the apocalypse, whereas in Germany... <laughs> 
people will kind of decide to close an establishment on their own whims. So it's common to see a sign closed for all of August due to holidays. Or when it gets exceptionally hot, you'll often see a Hitzefrei sign. And that basically just means that the place is closed due to temperatures being too warm to keep it open. And also, unlike California or a lot of other countries, Germans aren't big fans of AC. And so they'll simply close down the shop if it gets too hot to stay in business. It's their own version of the apocalypse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I actually saw that last week with a cafe putting a Hitzefrei sign up and someone on social media had said it basically means we can't be bothered today. <laughs> yeah. No, we, well, I mean, you know, it depends on how on the heat that you have to work in, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, right. that's true. So you were talking about lakes there, Aaron. We were at Teufelsee, actually, me, me. Yes, true. <laughs> we were. We were in Berlin's Grunewald Forest at the weekend. And it really reminded me of how stripping off outdoors is a big part of German summer culture. I should point out that me and Aaron weren't taking part, but others were. Yeah, I know. You know, there's there's a limit. <laughs> I'll go for the skimpy speedo swimsuits, but exactly. not really the nudity. Especially between colleagues. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're not German enough for that. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so, of course, we know this culture of FKK or Freikope Kultur or free body culture in Germany, but sometimes it's just when you really see it in action that you are reminded of how popular it is. So in a previous episode, it's the one about Berlin's topless swimming row. We did go into the history a bit of FKK, so you should go back and listen to that if you want to hear a bit more. Today, should we talk just about the popular naked bathing spots in Germany? What do you think? Rachel, you've been researching it. I have reached, and there's quite a few all around the country, especially in the north of Germany. Um, you'll find a lot because that's where the first FKK beaches were opened um, starting in the 1920s. So the very first one is actually two adjoining beaches, and they're both in the island of Silt. And those would be Buna um, 16 and Kampen Line. There's also a couple of really nice FKK beaches in um, the seaside spa town of St. Peter Ording. And this is kind of a nice, sandy, windswept beach, um, which has a section for those of us who want to stay closed as well. And Wolstock also has a lot of nice beaches, one of them being in Vanamunda. And for those of us who who live in bigger cities, there's almost always urban FKK beaches. So in Berlin, there's the um, FKK Strandbad Mugesee, which is kind of in this forested area. And then in Munich, along the Isar River, there's also a popular spot where you'll catch a lot of clothesless people um, at any given time during the summer. And in Berlin as well, there's a lot of uh, spots that aren't officially marked as FKK. Like this past weekend, I was walking through Tiergarten, actually with my two-year-old daughter, and in one of the corners of the park, I noticed that there were a lot of people who decided to use the exceptionally warm day to practice FKK culture. So I promptly turned around with the stroller and <laughs> walked in the other direction. Stroller U-turn. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm not quite ready to introduce her to that aspect of German culture yet. 
And remember that nudity in Germany is governed by what's considered a nuisance. <laughs> yeah, right. If you are not bothering somebody, you're not committing a crime, basically, is how that rule works. Although some lakes will have FKK beaches, as uh, Rachel has been saying. And uh, what, what's noticeable about these ones is that you uh, will often get in into trouble or a talking to from some uh, German FKK enthusiast on one of these beaches if you are not FKK, if you are clothed there. 100% you, true. Yeah, you might get told to, to, to go somewhere else unless you're willing to strip. So if you want to strip off, best to go there. Also remember that there's plenty of non-FKK beaches usually around the same lake. You can just uh, keep walking a bit and you'll probably find one. Yeah, really good tips all around there, guys. So we hope you're all ready for German summer. We are going into a new month, so there are quite a lot of big changes to know about, like rising long-term care insurance contributions, e-prescriptions, and changes to Bürgergeld, the long-term unemployment benefit. Rachel, can you tell us what the long-term care insurance changes actually means for people? Yeah, so the general contribution rate for long-term care insurance, known in German as Pflegeversicherung, is going to rise from its current 3.05% to 3.4%. And for those who don't know, the employee pays for half while the employer foots the other half. And freelancers don't have to pay, but they're encouraged to. And when they do, they have to pay the whole amount themselves. And the thing is, people without children will see an extra surcharge. So that surcharge will go up from 0.35 to 0.6 percentage points or around 4% of their gross pay. And this amount is expected to plug a big budget hole within the German government. But if you have multiple children, anywhere from two to five children, you can expect to see um, increasingly larger uh, reductions in the amount that you have to pay. What is this insurance for and why do people without children have to pay more? When people are retired and just an older age in general, it's basically to make sure that they have the care that they need, whether they're in a hospital or a care home. And the government's idea is that um, people with children tend to have higher cost in their day-to-day -day life, so they shouldn't have to pay as much. And also that older people with children or grandchildren, um, at least according to the government, will receive more physical and financial support from those children, whereas people without children will be relying more on state resources. So that's the basic rationale behind their decision. So the insurance is, when you get to old age, it's meant to contribute to some of the costs. But I think the government also expects people to have like private savings as well, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. And that's going up from July, isn't it? Yeah, from July 1st. Okay, so you'll see that in your pay packet if you're an employee. And Rachel, what's this about e-prescriptions? This has been talked about for a while, but is Germany really embracing digital life? Yeah, this is a particularly exciting change um, because Germany is notorious for doing everything on paper, but this shows that it's slowly changing. And so in the future, people will receive their prescriptions from the doctor 
digitally, um, basically what's known as an e-receipt, and patients will be able to get their prescriptions from their doctor via a QR code sent to an app, which can then be sent to a pharmacy, and the pharmacy can let the patient know whether their medicine is in stock and when it's ready for collection, and basically the aim is that it will save on paperwork and time, and people won't have to physically um, pick up this receipt from their doctor. And so it's also intended to make treatment with medicine safer, for example, reminding patients when they need a certain medicine again. And even Germany's health minister, um, Karl Lauterbach, has said that it's a breakthrough for digitalization and a much-needed change. Okay. And then lastly, on, on the changes from July, Burgergeld, what's happening there? Yeah, so to give you a little bit of background, Bürgergeld, or citizen's income, is Germany's replacement to the former Hartz IV unemployment benefit system. And previously, it prioritized quick job placements, but under the new Envision changes, low-skilled workers are supposed to receive more vocational training um, in order to open up access to the skilled labor market for them, because as we all know there's a huge um, skilled labor shortage in Germany at the moment. And then there's also a lot of better financial benefits envisioned with the new legislation. So the income exception limit or the Einkommensfreigrenze is going to be increased. Um, people with a monthly income of between 520 and 1,000 euros will be allowed to keep 30 instead of 20% of their income free of taxes. And there's also going to be a lot of benefits for young people. And for example, income from school or student jobs can be earned up into a mini job limit of 520 euros. Good to know. Thanks for that, Rachel. Let's also give our listeners a little update on what we can expect from the German dual citizenship law over summer or indeed after summer? Well, it certainly looks like it'll be after summer. Following stakeholder consultations, including with the state governments, the federal state governments, the Schultz cabinet is set to vote this thing through and pass it on to the Bundestag just before the Bundestag adjourns for the summer on July 7th. So that's obviously soon, and that's not enough time for the Bundestag to really debate this thing properly. And uh, some members of parliament are going to want to add a few amendments of their own into it, especially if they're not entirely happy with the draft uh, that the federal government ends up voting on and saying yes to. So that's basically their chance to fix a few things that they, they, they think will need fixing. So they're likely to pick up this draft law again in September. Parliamentarians are looking to pass it before the end of this year, if possible. To do that, they'll need to get this law past the Bundestag and to the Bundesrat, the upper chamber, in time for one of their four meetings this fall. The last one of those is on December 15th. So we'll see if this gets the stamp of approval by then. Okay. Um, plus, as we talked about last week, the immigration reform changes have been passed in the Bundestag now. That happened last week. That is a step on the way to making immigration easier for skilled workers from outside the EU, right? That's right. And politically speaking, 
uh, the Free Democrats, so FTP, one of the partners in this coalition, they in particular wanted to deal with immigration reform legislation in Germany in a certain order. So the first step uh, was illegal immigration, and then uh, after that, skilled immigration reform, which is, of course, this law that we've seen passed last week, and then uh, the citizenship reform law after those. So that law that we have been talking about for a while, will allow dual citizenship also for non-EU nationals. And it'll also shorten the time someone needs to have been resident in Germany before applying for citizenship from eight years to five years in most cases. With the skilled immigration law now passed, this means the citizenship reform law is up and it's the last major piece of legislation in the coalition's agreed package of immigration reforms in Germany. There's a parliamentary majority in favor of it in the Bundestag. There's not enough votes in the Bundesrat to block it. So the way to getting it through is clear. Uh, and given all of the backlogs and citizenship applications recently, particularly for people who live in Berlin, it's entirely possible that people starting their application process now will end up being governed by the new rules anyway before they are actually sworn in as German citizens in that final ceremony. Thanks to you both for the updates. And we will include links to the stories we've been talking about in the show notes. Let's talk about a story in Germany that's been rumbling on for a little while. The German coalition government, which is made up of the Social Democrats, the Greens and the Free Democrats, is working on a law that could mean the end of gas and oil heating systems in people's homes in Germany. Rachel, what is this proposed law all about? To be honest, Rach, this law has really been throwing me through a loop and definitely politicians as well because they've been <laughs> debating it for such a long time and there's so many little details involved with it that are constantly getting changed. But in a nutshell, the law specifies that starting next year, so from 2024 onwards, every newly installed heating system in Germany needs to be powered by at least 65% green energy. And just from the surface, that sounds good. Most of us are in favor of environmental protection and combating climate change, but it's pretty complicated because the new systems which they're proposing putting in place and are requiring people to put in place um, can be pretty costly. Okay. And is that why it's so controversial? Yeah, exactly. So Starting next year, people in Germany will no longer be able to buy um, oil or gas boilers. And if they have one already, as most people do, they won't have to rush to replace it at the start of next year. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
but as soon as it breaks down, they will automatically have to replace it with one of these alternatives like heating pump, which is um, more expensive and even prohibitively more expensive, according to a lot of critics. And so you're talking about homeowners there, but what happens with landlords and what what would it mean for tenants? Yeah, so... Um, Under the new agreement, landlords are able to pass 10% of the cost onto the tenants, and they are receiving government subsidies for it as well, but it still means that the tenants themselves will be hit with higher rental costs. So whatever the case, and obviously it's still in the works at the moment, it would mean higher costs for ordinary people. That's correct. For pretty much every person in Germany, except for the 3% who already have one of the proposed environmentally efficient systems, there are going to be rises um, in the cost. Yeah, well, this is sort of part of the cost of energy transition in Germany. And while it sounds uh, good and abstract, um, as we've been talking about, this is sort of the first evidence that we're seeing of the fact that it really has costs for mm-hmm. um, everyone. And uh, that, uh, as we're going to talk about later in the podcast, also has political consequences um, as well. Absolutely. And the Greens are pushing this, right? Yes, they are pushing this very hard. Of course, that's led to accusations from some other parties basically saying that uh, the Greens are too far removed from what the average German makes or what the average German household budget is, or really able to understand just how much these kinds of replacements um, for the energy transition may actually end up costing people, which is fueling a little bit of the uh, support for the far-right off day that we've seen recently. It's also interesting to note that uh, Robert Habeck, co-leader of the Greens and energy minister, was one of the most uh, popular politicians in Germany, according to polls, until this whole uh, gong show, if you will, with this law started <laughs> happening. And now his uh, that, that rating has tanked. So it's come with a lot of political consequences already, and we're not even done. What are the next steps for Aaron? Well, right now, the government parties are sorting out the last of the changes they want to make to this law, or so we hear, uh, with the intention um, that it come into force, at least the first provisions that Rachel mentioned earlier. So those first provisions are that from January 1st, 2024, you can't buy sort of an old school gas or oil heating system without uh, kind of special permission um, that if you have to replace, you can keep using your old one, but if you have to uh, end up replacing it, you need to to pay this cost. But although we hear that a deal is coming soon, uh, this legislation has been so controversial that until the ink is really dry <laughs> on the signatures, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more wrangling even now. Really interesting. Thank you both for those updates. So the story about the heating law and German energy policies actually leads us on to our next topic of the day. We're talking about the far-right alternative for Germany, known as the AfD, and the party's first district election win. The party's Robert Sesselmann won the vote to become district administrator in Sonneberg in the state of Thuringia, and it has been called a watershed moment in German politics. It also adds to the bigger picture we're seeing in Germany of recent polls which have seen the AFD rising in popularity. Aaron, what happened in this German district? 
Well, Rach, uh, Robert Zusselman, the AfD's candidate in Zonneberg, won this district election with about 52% of the vote against the CDU, the Christian Democrats. Now, this is the first time in post-war German history that a far-right party has won a governing mandate uh, somewhere in Germany, even a district or a mayoral vote, as this one was. The AfD has captured significant vote shares in eastern state elections before, But the mainstream parties, whether they're center-right like the CDU or center-left like the Greens or the Social Democrats, have tended to band together across ideological lines to form governing coalitions, in some cases uh, seemingly very unwieldy ones of three parties uh, or more, really with the intention of keeping the AfD out of power and um, them not actually being able to hold any ministries or offices where they could pass some of the uh, legislation to enforce their agenda. In previous mayoral elections in the eastern part of Germany, just as what happened in this one, that involved center-left parties like the Greens even going to the unusual step of backing the conservative CDU and not fielding a candidate of their own. They did that because they reckoned that the CDU was the best shot at keeping the AfD out of positions of power. They did that here too, um, but the AfD candidate ended up getting more than half the vote anyway. So the AfD are known to be far right. Sections of the party are classed as extremist. Why mm-hmm. did people vote for them? Well, and even under the supervision of certain state security services, some aspects of the party as well are considered that extremist. Exactly. They're under surveillance. Yes. That said, the party does encompass a really wide spectrum with some more local segments focusing more heavily on economic issues with some focusing more heavily on immigration. But as a whole, the reason why people voted for this candidate in these local elections were just some of the issues that they felt really spoke to them. In the past year, inflation has been a record high in Germany over 10% at one point, even though it's now back to um, slightly over 6%. This candidate also said he wanted to cut back on immigration um, as Germany has opened its door to more than a million people over the past year. And I think a lot of people in this area of eastern Germany felt like their concerns were being ignored or not being taken seriously by mainstream politics. And Sesselman, this candidate, really spoke to them. A lot of former AFD candidates have been very media-friendly. They've had a lot of sort of one-liners that they've wanted to get out to the press. And Sesselman is a bit unique in that he's kind of media-shy. And he's even said, oh, I'd rather just speak to local people than the New York Times, who did actually try to contact him after his win. And I think because he kind of is this relatable, everyday sort of guy, he did capture this populist sentiment um, that we've been seeing in this area. So it's a mix of this particular candidate's personality as well as some of the issues. That's right. The people felt like they were really spoken to. And, you know, even though there was a low voter turnout under 60 percent, those that did vote um, obviously felt pretty strongly about him. Yeah. And this is a fairly small area we're talking about, right? 
Yeah, it's, it's a small district, small town, um, actually fairly close to uh, the um, border with Bavaria, the interstate border um, between Turinga and Bavaria. So this is a clearly a significant moment for German politics. Rachel, what is the reaction been? There's been a firestorm among most mainstream politicians and also media outlets. Germany's best-selling build newspaper called Sesselmann's Win, a political earthquake and a remarkable success for the ultra-right party. Thuringia's interior minister and Thuringia's the state where his win took place, he said, that the win was basically an alarm bell for all democratic forces. And a lot of politicians in general have, in one way or another, said that it is some sort of threat against democracy. The AfD have been polling at a higher rate recently across across Germany, signaling that support for the party is growing. What does this mean or could this mean for Germany and German politics, Aaron? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Um, The AfD have indeed polled very close to this kind of territory before, um, where we're at with uh, recent polls putting them at uh, 19 or 20 percent, depending on what poll you're looking at. They do um, come ahead of the governing SPD uh, in certain polls. Um, They are still quite a bit behind the uh, CDU, which leads the polls at 27%. But again, um, they have scored uh, numbers in the polls like this before, back when Angela Merkel was chancellor due to a lot of anti-migrant or anti-refugee sentiment. So we're not in completely uncharted territory with respect to their poll performance. Uh, But there is one important thing that is different this time around, Um, very critical. Merkel's strategy for dealing with a rising AfD was to hold the CDU in the middle of German politics to really emphasize that it was a party of die Mitte or the center uh, in German. Friedrich Metz, the CDU's current leader, is a very different kind of Christian Democrat. He's more conservative. He will have a different strategy. Whereas Angela Merkel was more keen to show how different the CDU was to the AfD, Mertz often engages in more conservative rhetoric, certainly on migration. His team is very potentially going to try a different strategy, which is to win back conservative voters from the AfD by tacking more to the right, more conservative, the opposite of uh, what Merkel tried to do. And that strategic debate within the CDU has been going on for years. Uh, Who's right, Merkel or Mertz? And we may now end up finding out which side ends up being more successful politically. But that may mean a lot more charged rhetoric uh, around immigration, around culture wars, Uh, in Germany uh, coming up. And we have been talking about the party having more support in former East German states. Are we living in a very polarized country at the moment? And is there a chance that the mainstream parties could get these voters back on site? Well, we're going to find out soon enough. In fall of 2024, so fall of next year, we have three state elections, federal state elections in Eastern German states. Those are Saxony, Turinga, so that's where the AfD won this uh, district election, and Brandenburg, which is the state just outside of Berlin, which encircles Berlin. There's a lot of deep-seated mistrust in Eastern Germany of the mainstream parties due to reunification being perceived as improperly managed, due to paying more for goods because of Russia's war against Ukraine, as we've been talking about, inflation, 
or having fewer services in Eastern Germany and opportunities. It is harder to get a doctor out there a lot of the time. Uh, really, some of the perfect grounds for a populist party, particularly one that's never had to be accountable for passing any actual legislation in an actual government. Mert's strategy might be to win back AFD voters by emulating the party more. It's not clear that strategy is going to work. In other countries, voters often prefer the genuine article of a far-right party rather than a copycat. Uh, no other party, though, seems to have a strategy at all. And it's hard to see this changing in the short term, at least. And we don't have a lot of time before we end up finding out. Many of our listeners are foreigners in Germany. This party has an anti-immigrant stance, as we've been talking about. Should we be concerned about these developments? Uh, we probably should be a little bit concerned. Um, ultimately, Germany has maintained a cordon sanitaire uh, against working with the AfD. That basically means uh, that no matter how well the AfD does, the mainstream parties don't enter into uh, coalition with it. They instead band together, sometimes in very unwieldy um, three-party coalitions, for example, uh, to keep the AfD out of power, to keep them from having any actual posts um, to pass any legislation. Uh, Merkel's handpicked successor, Annegret Kamp-Karrenbauer, even resigned a few years ago because the CDU in Turingen voted with the AfD to elect a very temporary FTP state leader against the wishes of the National Party. That boundary has fallen in other European countries, and certainly there's concern that it could fall here. If it does, it would almost certainly fall first in a state election rather than na nationally. And some people are going to be worried about the precedent that that sets. Uh, some eastern state CDU members are said to want the option of working with the AFDA, even if the national party is against it. If it falls at a state level, it may become more difficult to maintain it nationally. And for the far right to be in any German government, uh, no matter what level, says a lot about how well we understand our own history or not, as the case may be. And even if the boundary stays in place nationally, any foreigners living in a potentially AfD-governed state or district uh, obviously have a few reasons to worry about how friendly that government is going to be to their interests. Thank you both for those updates. Okay, let's get on to something a bit lighter now. Germany is an amazing place to be in summer, as we talked about at the start of this episode. So let's think about some fun events that are happening in July. Rachel, what event has caught your eye? So one of my favorite events is one that I've been going to almost every year since I moved to Berlin. Um, it's the Kreuzberg Fest, which used to be called the Bergmannstrasse Fest, and it's been going on for about 30 years now. And it's when this whole area of Kreuzberg is filled with lots of stands selling food from all over the world. About 30 live music groups are there with a particular focus on jazz. And it's just a really fun, lively event, sort of similar to Carnival der Kulturen because so many different cultures are represented, but its main focus is on music and just bringing people together. When is that happening? It's going to be kicking off on June 30th. Good to know. Yes, that's my old neighborhood. I always loved that event. Aaron, what have you got? Well, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that beats Berlin CSDA or Christopher Street Day. That is Berlin Pride. And it happens on July 22nd this year, although there is an amazing street festival, Strassenfest, the weekend before. I highly, highly recommended. Basically shuts down the neighborhood of Schöneberg in Berlin. The parade itself attracts, get this, about a million people. It is one of the largest prides in the world. 
Yes, is is very good. Really nice tips, guys. So I'm curious about the Landshuta Hochzeit, which translates to the Landshut Wedding. And this is a historical festival and reenactment that takes place in Landshut in Bavaria once every four years. So if you miss out on this one, you won't get it for uh, a long time. So this year, the medieval event, which commemorates some kind of nobility wedding from the 15th century, takes place from June 30th to July 23rd. And during the festival, the city becomes basically a kind of medieval town, recreating the atmosphere and traditions of the late Middle Ages. So you can expect parades, jousting, knights and markets. So all in all, it's pretty quirky, right? Oh, yeah. And do they have to, you know, keep wearing chainmail in this heat? Yes, they do. You you have to get into it, that's, that's commitment right there. Yeah. <laughs> We're sending you down. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> I also wanted to quickly shout out the Come Together experience. This is a Beatles-themed festival, which is happening in Hamburg on Friday, the day this episode comes out, and Saturday. You didn't think that I would let our last episode of the season go by without mentioning the Beatles, did you? No, we didn't no, think that ever. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all you need is love. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's it for this week and this series. A big thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. We'd love it if you considered becoming a member of The Local to support our journalism so we can keep bringing you this podcast and our stories on The Local Germany site. And please follow us, leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed it. This week's panelists have been Aaron Burnett and Rachel Stern, and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we will be back in September after a summer break. So please have a wonderful summer. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.